Hello and welcome to the Mangal Media Show in cooperation with Good Radio Live. I am Mangal Media Editor-in-Chief, Efe Levant. To learn more about us and follow the articles discussed on the show, please visit our website, www.mangalmedia.net. Mangal Media is supported entirely by reader donations. If you like our content and would like to see more of it, please check out our pledge options from our Patreon site. A monthly pledge of over $5 will give our readers digital access to the illustrated short fiction project, Guide to Every City. In today's episode, we will be joined by Adnan Mahmutovic to discuss his recent article, Black Moses Matters. In this article, Adnan investigates the location of Bosnians within the contemporary racial hierarchy. Key to his investigation is the assertion that Moses was black. Today. We will talk about the writing process that went into the essay and discuss the importance of a writer's relationship with their audience. So I'm here with Adnan Mahmutovic uh, to talk about his article, Black Moses Matters, which he has published two weeks ago, was it? Yes. And uh, could you first uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, so uh, my name is Adnan Mahmutovic, as you said. Uh, I usually refer to myself as um, a Bosnian-Swedish author uh, and academic. I usually downplay the academic part, mm -hmm. uh, but I am that kind of weird creature who is uh, both uh, a writer and an academic because I, I work at Stockholm University as a teacher of um, uh, English literature. Uh, creative writing and cultural studies uh, and um, so I'm um, I have uh, worked as uh, I've been in the academia as, uh, for almost 20 years uh, but uh, I have also been writing in uh, uh, for almost 20 years uh, as well so uh, if you I could say that for instance that from uh, Perhaps 2005, uh, these last 15 years, I've been most um, uh, active in both of these, uh, these fields. Uh, so uh, in terms of history, I came to Sweden in 1993 as a refugee of war from Bosnia. Uh, so um, the, I worked for many years as a carer, uh, someone who works for uh, people with uh, different kinds of damage, like brain damage. Uh, and that's, that's something that, um, uh, that shaped me quite a lot as a person. Uh, I did that parallel with my studies. And then uh, later on, when I got into uh, my PhD, that was around 2004, I kind of slowly left that behind me and went uh, more deeply into academia and, uh, and writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so your article was about the possibility, or is it the possibility, or is it a fact, of Moses, in fact, being black? Yes, it is about the fact of him being black. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that um, is at the hub of the, of the article. Uh, is the core issue. It is that around everything else circles 
although the article is about a lot of things it is about my complex history the complex history of uh, of europe and the world and uh, religion and ideology and nationality and all those things uh, i take uh, this notion of the black moses as that central uh, symbol around which everything uh, circles uh, that which kind of informs everything that I talk about. What I found kind of really exciting about reading your article was precisely what makes it very difficult to summarize. Like if I were to summarize the article, if somebody were to ask me, what's this article about? The first thing that comes to my mind, of course, because of the title, it's about Moses actually being black. But then I'd be like, but it's also about Bruce Lee. It's also about the Bosnian genocide. And it's also about a guy growing up in Bosnia and then, you know, kind of his understanding of Islam and how he has transformed within this. It is about many things. And they, I found it exciting also that they, relate they kind of like travel around in the article and they touch one another and then they go in different directions but it's totally okay that you know they're not constantly super tightly packed into each other i was wondering uh what kind of thinking process does your writing style reflect in this article Good quite right to describe it that way uh, that there is a, a weird sense of uh, it being like a one thing one whole uh, and at the same time uh, you know dipping into mm. so many so many things at the same time uh, so so there is a kind of a perfect balance between all those things that that I managed to accomplish in this piece in fact a lot of people who shared it on the social media wanted to to single out perhaps some quotes uh, but a lot of them actually wrote i'm unable to to single out a quote i i uh, i just recommend that you read the entire piece uh, and i cannot summarize it by any of the uh, of the particular lines from it uh, which i thought was was really really interesting i i, I found that as a, as a compliment uh, you know as, uh, people were saying like I could quote everything. I don't want to quote anything. Just, just read it. And for me, that was really exciting. It reflects as such a kind of form which I have been attempting to uh, to accomplish for for many years, and I've been always moving towards this form, uh, this kind of hybrid of many different genres, uh, which work together to to. Uh, to allow us access to different kinds of knowledge. So uh, just thinking about, you know, when I, when I started writing it, uh, and I feel like if, had I tried to do this 10 years ago, I would, not, mm-hmm. I would not be able to do that. So I had to have written a lot of fiction, creative nonfiction, essays, uh, academic papers, and so on, to be able to actually synthesize those kinds of knowledge into this piece. Uh, and by that, I mean, for me, this is personal. Yes. But then there are, there are also these academic parts, like the, the research, the analysis. 
uh, then there is the creative part. Uh, there are all those things which, when you when you look at them, I could have written a purely kind of fictional story, or, or the way Hurston wrote her, her novel, which is mentioned in the in the article Moses, the Man of the Mountain. I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have written an academic paper which kind of does research into Moses's uh, skin color uh, from the point, maybe from a historicist point of view, maybe I could have done a, a theological analysis. I could have uh, gone in any of those directions. Uh, but this particular article reflects the way I think I needed to approach it. I wanted to be uh, about history. I wanted to be personal about, uh, I wanted to, it to have um, solid research. I wanted to be both uh, uh, theological and uh, uh, and uh, about ideology and history and, and all these things. Uh, so, so finding this form, uh, you know, to give you one uh, one one example, like uh, in the article, in the end, we use a number of photographs and, and images. Mm-hmm. That was not a part of the plan to begin with. No, you know, it was purely textual, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but as it was being shaped, as it was being written uh, and edited, it kind of emerged out of the process. Okay, now it seemed quite natural, quite, quite organic to use, for instance, two photographs and, and, and an image. Uh, so, so for me, you know, this process of finding a form which really doesn't fit in any of the more rigid notions of you know, genre uh, was exactly what was necessary for this message to be conveyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think everything, any any other form, uh, any other conventions would uh, would have ruined quite quite a lot uh, of it. And I think you could see in the paper uh, how how, for instance, I try and uh, mix the register a little bit, uh, but kind of keep it on the more creative side and not so much academic, especially when I, when I use research. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that, that all those considerations were a part of the process. Uh, and uh, I'm really pleased that, especially I'm really pleased that your venue, Mangal Media, was really, and a lot of people told me this, it was a, a perfect venue for this kind of uh, piece that, allowed for that kind of uh, uh, that kind of text to be uh, to be published uh, because a lot of other kinds of venues would have uh, forced it to go in in a completely unnatural directions mm-hmm. yeah it is for me it is an absolute privilege that the kind of language that we have been instrumental in creating at mongol has being a vehicle for this type of original writing. I mean, through the conception of the platform, we had always wanted it to be able to create a new kind of writing, a kind of writing that's not just going to, because, you know, in our experience, in our kind of quote unquote peripheral experience, when, especially in the writing world, when we want to express 
what we feel or something historic about you know our cultural background and if when we want to get into creative writing we either have two options we either write in our own native language to the people who speak it or we write in english to a bunch of white people uh europeans and americans and the second option as soon as we start writing in english we are restricted to this kind of narrow lane of having to self-orientalize whereas with a new platform like this what it allows us is to create a peripheral readership for a peripheral writing so that even though we don't directly have each other's experiences like if we would communicate in our own native language we can still have relatable experiences so that we don't have to exoticize ourselves to each other. I found that to be one of the core, most exciting things about this article too. I mean, we've always wanted to create a space for this, but we had never been able to imagine what kind of writing would emerge out of this because it's a completely experimental area of kind of peripherals communicating between each other. And this for both me and to Adnan Delalic, who had edited the piece, was kind of extremely refreshing because now we have a, a huge text that even deals into like theology, which uh, we were talking about this earlier also, of course, I think it would kind of almost set a precedent for the both the tone, uh, the, the, the composure of the future articles that we will be publishing in Mangal Media. And incidentally, you might not know this, but you also have the honor of being the oldest writer who ever wrote on Mangal Media. Okay. Yes. Wow. Normally, like 35, 37 is probably was the oldest writer that we've ever had. So Adnan and I were quite excited about that too. We were like, oh, we're working with grown-ups now. <laughs> <laughs> You're the oh only one who does not qualify as a millennial, I think, who wrote. I think so, yes. Yeah. From your description, I wasn't aware of that, definitely not. I don't know if I uh, uh, would have been scared off by, uh, by that. Oh, no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. It's, 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 it's been very exciting for us, like, uh, because, you know... Yeah, I mean, speaking of it, it's... it's uh, I mean, you, you guys were not the, the first one uh, I approached uh, because I was really trying to find the right place. I, uh, you know, just having um, decades of experience with publishing and knowing you know, what people do, how, how they do it. And I asked friends to, uh, to recommend places, always aware of the styles of those venues and, and so on. And one of the things, for, uh, just in relation to what you were saying about the periphery and, uh, uh, and writing about ourselves in the most genuine way, uh, the, one of the experiences I had just before sending it to you guys, I sent it to a well-known uh, newspaper, uh, which I love and respect. Um, and uh, uh, the person who uh, responded, the, the, who is also a friend of mine, said, uh, well, you know, this is a great piece, but it's, it's not fit for the American market. Uh, it's too European. Mm. Uh, this, 
we don't really care about this. And uh, and for me, that that struck me as, oh my God, what? So, so it was so clear in that moment that uh, that what I was trying to do, uh, you know, trying to use uh, my history, our history, uh, and all these elements, you know, trying to connect across borders. Uh, there I hit a border which was kind of, I knew was implied, but I still, I was still shocked by it. Like you, you are too European uh, to do. Well, I think it's a gross and, mischaracterization yeah. of the article also. Yes. I mean, it's, it deals with the Old Testament, <laughs> you know. Yes. What's European about that? Yes. Interesting. So they yes. ended up not publishing it. Yeah, so so uh, definitely. Yeah, so they, they, they didn't want it. Uh, they just didn't feel that uh, they were the right market for it. Uh, mm. And uh, I was uh, I was really stunned by that because I just didn't see that was what the paper was, uh, what, what the article was doing. Uh, uh, and also about uh, the conditions and the kinds of thinking and in the publishing industry, uh, how, how it worked, and I'm, I'm really pleased that I uh, that I didn't publish that that I uh, came to you guys. But uh, uh, it, was just, I, it was a very interesting insight to gain along the way. Mm. I'm sure you must have had experiences like this in your career in publishing, where you know it was expected to fit into some kind of uh, you know the usual market and stuff like that. Oh yes, there's there's plenty of that. Of Abs course. Absolutely, absolutely, all the time. Well, let's get back to the article. Yes. Uh, one of the things, as I was saying before, it kind of it kind of jumps between different forms of registry, and what let's kind of maybe dissect the uh, without spoiling it, dissect the. Um, variety of elements that were inside the article. I think it starts with a kind of almost a confessional registry where you yes. are kind of uh, grappling with your own, uh, I guess, alleged or whiteness or whiteness shortly. And you are kind of trying to assess this idea of like, what does it mean to be both Muslim and white at the same time? And then it starts with that. It it's it looks like it's going to be on a personal essay format, but then very quickly on, it kind of forks out into multiple directions, almost all at once. And what happens then? How where does it go to after that? Well, yes, uh, it's it's that. Uh, Moment like first, first of all, you look for as an author, you look for the core. Where does this come from? Uh, and uh, and what are the images? What are the symbols I can use to kind of access that core? And then, immediately, as you say, uh, you recognize that that core is uh, is not as stable. It's actually composed out of different cores. Uh, so. Uh, and then it becomes a way of branching out into those different cores and then resynthesizing them and kind of going back and 
uh, in and out, in and out. Uh, so, so it's like a, a moment, a moment of um, pulsation, like uh, almost like a heart beating. You know, it contracts, it expands. It contracts, it expands. So that was the kind of rhythm I was I was looking for as I, as I was writing it. You know, it you know the blood is pumped out, then it's kind of sucked in, out, in and out, uh, co constantly, uh, and. Obviously, that's difficult to accomplish. Uh, to to have that, uh, as you say, especially because you have several topics going on. They don't seem related. Uh, already in the beginning, I, 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 for instance, I mentioned popular culture like Bruce Lee. I connect him to to my Bosnian history, growing up uh, in, in a kind of pre-war Yugoslavia, uh, with certain idols, a combination of idols uh and um and then i try kind of uh, and, and connect them all and, and see how are they related why are they coming to my to my consciousness to my mind to my heart at this moment as i'm writing this why are these images the ones that that come to me right now so so the writing of it becomes a, a form of exploration and uh, and um so you see for instance that uh, uh I, I I plant certain thoughts in the beginning and only return to them much later or certain images. Uh, that's that's a very common way of, of of writing in general. If you've written you know longer pieces of work mm -hmm. like novels, you you do that kind of stuff. Uh, not, it's not very usual to do in um, in uh, shorter pieces, but th this one is kind of long enough for for that. My hunch is that you know the core core aspect of the article because there's like i guess two rival cores it, it's it it might have come from the idea of thinking oh i want the world to know that moses was black and i'm going to write this article and i'm going to make it personally that that's one way of how it could have been and the second yes. way which which how i feel uh how my hunch is as to your thinking process that went behind the article was more like asking the question how can a community who has been the victim of such a brutal genocide uh, along the lines of race how is it possible that they can they can commit racism themselves i had the impression that it was the latter that kind of pushed you in and yes. the exploration of Moses's blackness kind yes. of kind of grew within within the answer to that question i think yes absolutely uh, there, there is that crux and in fact it's something that i have been using in my teaching for years uh, when i when i talk about races and that this doubleness like how can uh, you know someone who has uh, suffered from discrimination from racism from you know all kinds of discrimination mm -hmm. then actually also enact that uh, why are we shaped like that and that, that's a kind of a paradox within ourselves uh, uh, and it's constant it doesn't really go away uh, and that, that's something we we have to acknowledge and cope with and you know deal with uh, but how do we do this uh, you, you're quite right that uh, you know, the, that is the central question from which 
you know all the other elements come uh, and and, and that, that all the other elements try to uh, help answer uh, i can tell you for instance about um, this incident which uh, happened well a series of incidents I, I, I suppose back when we were refugees in the 90s and we were basically just coming to these swedish refugee camps and i was in this place uh, called Udavala on the west coast uh, and uh, that wasn't the only place but they had these they had these signs above toilets like these cartoons about toilets toilet seats uh, which with instructions you know how to use it mm. uh, and one thing i remember from that time is that everyone was like of course i know how to use a toilet what, what do they think you yeah, know who do who the hell do they think mm. we are that we don't they don't think we know how to use the toilet mm. you know? uh, and uh, basically uh, what happens there is that you kind of feel dehumanized you feel like Okay, well, we, why do they think this? Who, where do they think we come from? You know, that we haven't seen toilets or what, what does that mean? You know, suddenly you are less civilized. I mean, in that very basic, uh, very, very uh, raw situation, like that's one of the, the basic needs, you know, to go to, to the toilet. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the reactions or the, the reactions that people you, you used to have was like, okay, who do they think we are? Savages. So, so immediately uh, you could see that people were kind of positioning themselves. They felt dehumanized, and, but in the way they were kind of uh, positioning themselves, they, they, they very much uh, thought of, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, Africa was mentioned and, you know, other places mm. like, okay, so we are not those kinds of people who don't know what a toilet is. Yes. Uh, so, so you see, you see my, my issue here, like, uh, you are from one, uh, from one uh, end, you are seen as not being civilized enough, not European. On the other hand, you know, you see yourself as a European and you put yourself in a contrast to, someone you imagine is is not civilized enough uh, and i feel that kind of that kind of thinking has remained this kind of in-betweenness which uh which uh, uh, people uh, experience and feel that mm -hmm. they, at the same time they are discriminated against and they also discriminate on the same basis mm -hmm. i think i, I mm -hmm. feel like for example in this example uh when people kind of talk about oh you've experienced racism how could you be racist yourself uh it's it's also kind of like a, actually a very simplistic way of looking at how racism works because for example what your example lays bare is that the way i feel like it it kind of shows how racism can breed racism too because yes. when you see someone who treats you like you don't know how to use a toilet, which is something that you've done all your life, which is something that you take as very natural. And when somebody teaches, that, when somebody feels like they need to teach you how you should be using something that you've taken for granted for so long, you 
your first reaction is like, how can you teach me this? Like it, it occurs much later in a situation when you find yourself in such a dehumanizing situation, your first thought is not going to be, why is it such a big deal to know how, why is my humanity based on whether I can use a toilet or not? Why am I not being judged on my generosity? You know, why am I yes. not being judged on my valuable characters? But instead, I'm yes. being judged on using this specific instrument to relieve myself. Yes. Which is, uh, which is very illustrative, I would say. Yes, I, I think absolutely. I mean, so it, it, it really uh, it can be theorized endlessly, but yet that, that very image, that very situation is exactly. And, and in fact, you know, as an author, you know that that speaks more than any theory, any kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, books and books and books of, of, of research. You know. So for me, uh, you know, writing this piece, it was uh, uh, trying to, to access uh, the images and, and all that, which uh, that, that kind of very personal, deeply personal stuff, which I couldn't do through academic writing at the same time doing solid research and wanting you know, to, as, uh, as you said about Moses, for instance, you know, really, uh, I could have written a, uh, an essay which says, okay, I think Moses was black, you know, and I, uh, I think we need to, you know, uh, uh, consider this. Uh, why are we not considering this? Why is this not a part of our common imaginary? Uh, but then there is also that need to prove it, to do the research, to do the, um, the, the history, the, the, the theology and, and all that. And says, how do I actually combine all these? It shows you know, how personal it is. Absolutely. For me, this was really, really personal. I really appreciate it because in the first drafts of the article, the Zora Neale Hurston reference was not there. No. Uh, it, it came in kind of later in the drafts. And I found that to be, very fitting because Zora Neale Hurston herself, she's like, I believe the first African-American female anthropologist. Yes. And she also very much like the kind of writing that you've done on this article. She also very much combines both of these, like both the academic world and the creative writing world. And, uh, and I believe she does so very vividly and successfully. So I found, I've, when I saw the reference to Zora Neale Hurston, it kind of, it was almost kind of like a missing piece that kind of fell into place because not only politically and emotionally are these things within the same realms, but the idea of kind of combining different types of writing uh, without being bounded by, by the idea of this writing is supposed to be this and that writing is supposed to be that. It's very much actually just like the idea of a, of a toilet. I just keep going back to this. Uh, <laughs> But the, the ridiculousness of it keeps striking me again and again since you mentioned it, because all you have to do is dig a hole in the ground, you know. But you yes. have invented this contraption, or we have, as I don't know, parts of the world invented this contraption, and now this contraption is seen as the only way to do something. Whereas, yes. you know, does it have to be? It's just so arbitrary. Yes. So the way that your article does this stylistically also, that it kind of 
transgresses the boundaries of writing can be or is supposed to be, I think kind of goes very well with what the article itself is trying to say. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, you, I, I can show through the article. You know, I, I can master you know those conventions of uh, of writing, several conventions of, of writing. Uh, but my goal is always to access that raw uh, stuff, yes. which which is common to all of us, uh, and which I, I find necessary to access at all times. So uh, so all conventions. Of, of writing, all forms, all that uh, are there to help us to help us get there. They they are they are a little bit like these toilets, mm. uh, as as you say. Uh, you know, maybe you know one form of writing is one type of toilet, and uh, and uh, it sounds kind of morbid <laughs> and weird, you know, to compare all writing to, to uh, different yeah. kinds of toilets. Uh, but in the end, it's uh, uh, almost too Freudian, I, I suppose. Uh, but still, it's kind of a fitting image. You, you know, you you create that uh, in in order to be able to do that which you uh, which is closest to you, that which is necessary yes. to you. Yes. Just as with eating and 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 all these things, and um, and a lot of times you you just have to uh, try and dismantle that in the process. Exactly. Uh, and I think she did it so well. Uh, yeah, I was. It's really good that you say this because uh, the first draft, which which was really quite good to begin with, but uh, and and a lot of things did not change a lot through the editing process uh, that uh, uh, that we had. But uh, at the same time, uh, I mean, smaller tweaks, smaller things, and a lot of research that that was added to it, and the new things that uh, that came, like uh, Hurston's novel uh, that that I found in the process and and started thinking about, uh, was was also uh, symptomatic of that that it it. It's not finished, you know. It's you. You're still going to find new things, and and yes. uh, if you work with the right platform, if you work with the right people, uh, that you know they push you, you push them. Uh, in the end, you will find uh, things that uh, that you didn't even know were missing. Uh, mm. And in fact, that novel, which comes in late, uh, as as you say, it was like the missing piece. Mm. That 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 I needed to to actually uh, synthesize a lot of uh, of different elements: the academic, the creative, the history, the personal, uh, and uh, and and so on. Was a, a sort of a coincidence, but was a great a great. It's one. a fantastic coincidence because what it does, as far as I'm concerned, is it makes the article beyond the very impressive point that it's making it also gives the article a new kind of mission as the bearer of a torch yes you know this tradition of writing this way it's both very refreshing and new but also it does actually have predecessors 
So yes. it kind of it allows for making a circle. It comes back to zero Zora Neale Hurston as it, it creates a conversation, it creates a loop. And I think it's important through the act of writing to feel that you are not an orphan, you know, to feel Indeed. that we come from someplace. Even that place is not bounded in a geographical location. It comes from the sentiment of, I suppose, feeling peripheral. So it is absolutely refreshing to see that we have kind of ancestors and predecessors in, in this idea of trying to grasp with the fact that our existence and our experiences are not considered as central and how can we kind of think through and around this. So I thought it was kind of really good in that perspective too. I agree, especially since the, the very last lines of the article actually speak about the, the forefathers and foremothers, mm -hmm. you know, the, the predecessors and how we need to uh, look into our past and, uh, and, and relate to it with respect and, uh, and with certain forms of rebellion. It's like a double... Uh, moment of, of both respect and disrespect, if, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. Uh, and uh, so definitely uh, what I, I, I agree with you and, um, uh, and a lot of times, especially in terms of form, uh, uh, there is, the, I think we, uh, you can draw certain inspiration from the holy books uh, I always tell the creative writing students, for instance, well, look at those kinds of storytelling, you know, look at how they've, you know, uh, managed to, to uh, remain alive all these uh, mm. thousands of years, you know, uh, and how do they tell stories? How do they teach us how to tell stories? Uh, what is there? Uh, really, you know, what forms do they, uh, do they have and why? And for instance, a book like the Quran is uh, a book which uh, in one and single, you know, surah has both legislation and storytelling and, um, and worship and, uh, and, and whatnot. And it's like, it's, it's a perfect mixture and balance of a lot of, lot of uh, different uh, things that, that are going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's also one of the things that I mean, I don't think we will have the time to talk in depth about this, which is the theological aspect of of the writing, which, I mean, this is a subject that, I mean, I have so little familiarity that I would love to learn about these aspects a lot more from, from your knowledge. Uh, but for example, you, it's, it, it comes up as like a side subject in the article, but it's actually, tremendously important, the question yes. of representation in Islam. It yes. kind of, you talk to it very briefly, but you actually introduce an interesting element there. Can you, can you talk a bit more about this kind of representation <coughs> question? Uh, definitely. So as, as you said, it started with uh, uh, Moses, uh, who then is, uh, we're all familiar as basically the, this white image from movies, uh, from different kinds of representation that we've, and even 
in Islam where uh, in a lot of uh, Muslim communities we don't have images what I was struck by is the fact that we still do imagine mm. uh, and even though we don't acknowledge that we 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 do uh, imagine these uh, these famous characters that we love uh, in certain ways and a lot of times we just make them uh, in, in we turn them into ourselves uh, so so we in a sense the remove their character and we we read ourselves into them we see our own faces in their faces and we want to see them uh, in ways that um, and um, so I, I was just basically struck by the that how the the very absence of images was also reinforcing uh certain imaginaries that were not acknowledged that that were harder actually to deal with because they are not also images so it's not as easy as as, as to say okay well you know here among muslims and uh, you know, moses is white or uh, anyway because we don't have icons for instance uh but for that reason that doesn't mean that we don't imagine him as uh, as uh, white, for instance, or, uh, or or in particular, you know, size, shape, and so on. You know, those kinds of uh, because we do that naturally. Um, so um, the representation, yeah, like reading a lot, it, it, a lot of times, you know, as a creative writer and as as someone who does uh, uh, who teaches literature. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we do teach is. To look for that which is unsaid, that which you know uh, passes by without saying, uh, that which is implied, uh, and for that reason quite dangerous, because it's like a matter of course. You know, this is how it is. Uh, looking, you know, between the lines, uh, looking at you know how we can actually look at something and read it and still not see, and still not see that which is obvious, and and then. You know, someone needs to point it out to us. That, Perhaps you could uh, describe uh, the scene that you're referring to, the, the mm -hmm. implied, uh, the way that the, the, the text implies that Moses was black. Yes. So the key, the key scene um, is the one where Moses has already been assigned his prophethood. He is already on an assignment to, to the Pharaoh. And uh, we are all aware of uh, the fact that he has to deliver certain miracles as the proof of his uh, prophethood. Uh, and those miracles are supposed to persuade these, um, the Pharaoh, who himself he thinks he is uh, some kind of a divinity, that you know, there is this force behind all this. Uh, and uh, we are all familiar with the big miracles. Now, the parting of the sea, uh, the, or you know, the death of uh, uh, of, uh, of of children. We we uh, we know of the you know the red uh, the, the blood uh, in the in the waters, and you know all those really really uh, spectacular miracles. Uh, and then, you know, I was always curious about the ways that you know the for instance the Quran mentions certain things that seem very insignificant like what's this supposed to prove mm. uh, 
like and a lot of people are not paying attention to that it's just like they pass over it uh like because other things are more spectacular one of those things was that uh, a miracle he was supposed to deliver was that he shows his hand to the pharaoh and it's white and then he would kind of hide it and, and show it again and it would not be white so think just thinking of a, of, of a detail like that which uh, most people don't don't think about like what kind of a miracle is that why would that be <laughs> special yeah no in what uh, in what way is that uh, is that special uh, and it only makes sense if he is actually a dark-skinned man and his hand get, uh, uh, changes color entirely so it becomes white as if it uh, as if he is sick uh, and then he recovers it's almost as if you know moving between sickness and health mm. uh, and that, was, that that's the only thing that made that made sense and then you you work, how come no one talks about this and what why, why is this uh, important and so you find in our literature very obscure literature at, 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 uh, a lot of times that yeah people have spoken about this and and for them it was it just meant what it meant that he was a black man uh, and then you find these other descriptions of Moses uh, from the um, from other transition uh, traditions that uh, where he is described as a, uh, as a black uh, person. Uh, but for me, the, the the main thing here is why is this a miracle to to God? You know why does you know the Quran represent this as a miracle? Uh, because most people do not react to that as some kind of a huge uh, miracle. Obviously, there is some kind of a message there about uh, uh, about this change of color, and uh, uh, and I take this to be uh, symbolic of um, of the way we have developed uh, as uh, we have developed discrimination. Uh, uh, we have developed racism and, and and all those other other things. It's, it's it's a symbolic. That's why it's a bigger miracle than any of the other miracles that he shows to the pharaoh. This is a miracle for all of us who are seeing uh, racism in 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 the world and discrimination. How do you mean by that? It's a miracle for all of us. Well, I, what I mean is that um, you know, in theological discourse, you usually talk about miracles as as something that um, uh, that is there for the people who have actually experienced it mm -hmm. so so uh, other people just hear about those like you know jesus walking on water the parting of the sea and 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 all that and in islam usually people don't talk about miracles we, we talk about the quran as the miracle mm -hmm. so the book itself the text itself is is a kind of a miracle that is left to posterity which everyone can experience whereas miracles like turning wa uh, water into wine i almost said wine into water which is <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you know those kinds of things they are they are usually said to be there for the people who uh, can actually witness them because otherwise any anyone can say oh well that's just a story you just made it up mm -hmm. because you didn't witness it but the miracle of the white hand is maybe a story that is transmitted through uh, the book, but in its very unspectacular nature, 
it is uh, it is it is a story that, that just seemed to me like uh, so uh, uh, impossible to 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 manufacture. You know, because if you are manufacturing, if you want to to, to say, you know, okay, this guy was uh, uh, was you know a big prophet or something like that, and he did all these miracles, you would tell the stories about some uh, insanely uh, spectacular things. You wouldn't, you know, use something like that. Mm. So, so just by the, the way it looks insignificant, it's like who would manufacture something like this, right? Uh, who and who would be interested in actually uh, recording this for the posterity uh, so that it's transmitted mm. from generation to generation to generation uh, and in that way as, as a kind of a textual thing as as, uh, as a as an image it becomes something that can um, emerge and 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 seem miraculous to uh, to us who are seeing it in the in, in the story uh, Whereas we cannot see any, you know, seas parting or you know, fish multiplying and all those kinds of things. Uh, perhaps this is my is my being an author, my being a writer, and you know, thinking a lot of times how uh, a lot of times you know the details in our lives which seem insignificant can be the most significant. Mm. Uh, of course, I mean, with a text like Quran, uh, it's difficult territory to s pick out which parts of the Quran is significant and which parts are not, because the entire text is significant. Yes. So, yes. so textually, this is actually significant. It's only a human failure that has made this text seem as though it's not as significant as the swarm of locusts or something. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, so uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of taking uh, words seriously. Mm. Uh, uh, the famous narratologist Mikbal spoke. Uh, she wrote this book called "Loving Yusuf" or "Loving Joseph," which is about the story of Joseph in um, in the Bible and the Quran. And uh, and she pro, uh, propounds something she calls literalism, uh, or taking words seriously, which for her is different from fundamentalism mm -hmm. or that kind of. A lot of times when we say that that people are literalists. Uh, we we mean that they try and uh, reduce uh, meaning of these uh, important texts to um, you know singular meanings, uh, uh, but she says that's that that's kind of impossible. If you just look at words, if you just take them seriously, you will see that's impossible. That it takes a great effort to to actually mm. reduce words uh, to that and and um, uh, remove their significance um, with um, the, the hand uh, yeah it's um, uh, you know as, when you when you are a writer when you uh, when you write uh, your stories and you want to do something um, 
big like uh, I remember with my first novel you know, I, I remember I wanted to write the midnight children of uh, of the Balkans you know, uh-huh. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to write this big fat beast or you know, of a novel uh, which uh, tries to encom- encompass the history to tell every story and so on but um, as I was working on it, I, I realized no, this is not this is not possible. Uh, I, I, it's not just that I cannot do it, but my history, who I am, doesn't allow uh, allow it. Uh, it it wants to be something else, uh, and uh, and I really like this that um, which which we see in the Quran a lot, uh, where uh, you where God kind of sometimes points out to the, the creation of the skies of the universe as, you know, look at this huge thing, but also look at this small thing. Mm. It's equally significant, mm. you know, and, and if the skies are as significant as a fly, then that's the ultimate kind of sense of justice, like no discrimination. Like I, you know, the fly is, is just as important to God as, uh, as the skies and the mm-hmm. stars and, you know, all, all these things. Uh, so I don't know, there, there is a sense of hopefulness uh, for me always in, in, these, uh, in these kinds of stories. And I kind of actually find it, uh, we're approaching towards the end, but I actually kind of find it quite liberating to think that a lot of people who kind of have a very simplistic contrast between science and religion would, for example, argue that religion does not allow for inquiry, that religion does not, you know, give human agency freedom and stuff like that. But what I find quite interesting, the common thing between science and religion is the sense of wonder and excitement of realizing the fact that your mind is never going to be able to grasp the entirety of the universe. And that's what pushes a scientist to ask more questions. And that's also what motivates a lot of religious people to kind of live ethical lives, you know, because they are not able to grasp the entire consequences of their actions. So they, they are supposed to consider it over and over and more over it. And I find that quite liberating. But Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And just uh, being a writer is that kind of experience. Mm. Uh, like the, the process of writing this, this article, for instance, and especially all that work with the editor, uh, Adnan Delalic, who, uh, who did a tremendous job with, uh, with me, uh, is that like you always I, w- I was always wondering like are we ever going to finish this <laughs> yes, there always yes. new questions yes. like every every time every time we asked a question or 10 questions and answered them there were 10 more questions yes. and 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 more and more and more and it's like and every morning i would uh, i would go up and and I look at the you know his comments and thinking okay well this is a never-ending process i mean we could go on exactly. for years with this uh how are we going to wrap this up like ever uh so so finding a balance between kind of finishing certain things answering certain questions but uh in the same process opening new venues new questions leaving Absolutely. some things unanswered was like exactly what a creative text uh, is is supposed to do and uh, this is why in the beginning 
actually wanted to explicitly say this is not an academic text this is not a theological text this is a creative text yes uh, and and i feel that's uh, what we ended up with yes and what a great success that was it was fantastic talking to you about this article and it was a great joy for me to explore uh uh, your own thinking that went into this in conversation also and thanks for joining us oh thank you so much and um, uh, pleasure working with you thank you